Section 5 of Marty and a Voyage Thither, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Marty and a Voyage Thither, Volume 2. By Herman Melville. Chapters 21 through 25. Chapter 21. They Visit a Wealthy Old Pauper. Continuing our route to Gigi's, we presently came to a miserable hovel. Half projecting from the low open entrance was a bald, overgrown head, intent upon an upright row of dark-colored bags, pelican pouches, prepared by dropping a stone within and suspending them when moist. Ever anon, the great head shook with a tremulous motion, as one by one, to a clicking sound from the old man's mouth, the strings of teeth were slowly drawn forth, and let fall again and again with a rattle. But perceiving our approach, the old miser suddenly swooped his pouches out of sight, and, like a turtle into its shell, retreated into his den. But soon he decrepitly emerged upon his knees, asking what brought us thither to steal the teeth, which lying rumor averred he possessed in abundance? And opening his mouth, he averred he had none, not even a sentry in his head. But Babalanja declared that long since he must have drawn his own dentals, and bagged them with the rest. Now this miserable old miser must have been idiotic, for soon forgetting what he had but just told us of his utter toothlessness, he was so smitten with the pearly mouth of Hohora, one of our attendants, the same for whose pearls, like King Peepi, had taken such a fancy, that he made the following overture to purchase its contents, namely, one tooth of the buyers for every three of the sellers, a proposition promptly rejected as involving a mercantile absurdity. "'Why?' said Babalanja. "'Doubtless, because that proposed to be given is less than that proposed to be received. Yet, says a philosopher, this is the very principle which regulates all barterings. For where the sense of a simple exchange of quantities alike in value? Where, indeed, said Hohora, with open eyes, though I never heard it before, that's a staggering question. I beseech you, who was the sage that asked it? Vivo, the sophist, said Babalanja, turning aside. In the hearing of Gigi, allusion was made to O'O as a neighbor of his, whereupon he vented much slavering opprobrium upon that miserable old humpback, who accumulated useless monstrosities, throwing away the precious teeth which otherwise might have sensibly rattled in his own pelican pouches. When we quitted the hovel, Gigi, marking little Vivi, from whose shoulder hung a calabash of edibles, seized the hem of his garment, and besought him for one mouthful of food, for nothing had he tasted that day. The boy tossed him a yam. Chapter 22 Yumi sings some odd verses, and Babalanja quotes from the old authors right and left. Sailing from Padula, after many pleasant things had been said concerning the sights there beheld, Babalanja thus addressed Yumi. Warbler! The last song you sung was about moonlight and paradise, and fabulous pleasures evermore. Now, have you any hymns about earthly felicity? 
"'If so, minstrel,' said Medea, "'jet it forth, my fountain forthwith.' "'Just now, my lord,' replied Yumi, "'I was singing to myself as I often do, "'and by your leave I will continue aloud.' "'Better begin at the beginning, I should think,' said the chronicler, "'both hands to his chin, beginning at the top to new braid his beard. "'No, like the roots of your beard, old Mohi, "'all beginnings are stiff,' cried Babalanja. We are lucky in living midway in eternity. So sing away, Yumi, where you left off. And thus saying, he unloosed his girdle for the song, as Apicius would for a banquet. Shall I continue aloud then, my lord? My lord nodded, and Yumi sang, Full round, full soft, her dewy arms, Sweet shelter from all Marty's harms. Whose arms? cried Mohi sang Yumi, diving deep in the sea, she takes sunshine along, down flames in the sea, as of dolphins a throng. What mermaid is this? cried Mohi, sang Yumi, her foot a falling sound that all day long might bound, over the beach, the soft sand beach, and none would find a trace behind. And why not? demanded Medea. Why could no trace be found? said Braidbeard, perhaps owing, my lord, to the flatness of the mermaid's foot. But no, that cannot be, for mermaids are all vertebrae below the waist. Your fragment is pretty good, I dare say, Yumi, observed Medea, but as Braidbeard hints, rather flat. Flat as the foot of a man with his mind made up, cried Braidbeard. Yumi, did you sup on flounders last night? but Yumi vouchsafed no reply. He was ten thousand leagues off in a reverie, somewhere in the Hyades, perhaps. Conversation proceeding, Braidbeard happened to make allusion to one Rotato, a portly personage, who, though a sagacious philosopher and very ambitious to be celebrated as such, was only famous in Marty as the fattest man of his tribe. Said Medea, Then Mohi, Rotato could not pick a quarrel with fame, since she did not belie him. Fat he was, and fat she published him. Right, my lord, said Babalanja, for fame is not always so honest. Not seldom to be famous is to be widely known for what you are not, says Allah Molala. Whence it comes, as old Bardiana has it, that for years a man may move unnoticed among his fellows. But all at once, by some chance attitude foreign to his habit, become a trumpet-full for fools, though in himself the same as ever. Nor has he shown himself yet, for the entire merit of a man can never be made known, nor the sum of his demerits, if he have them. We are only known by our names. As letters sealed up, we but reach each other's superscriptions. So with the commonality of us Mardians. How then with those beings who every way are but apt to be riddles? In many points the works of our great poet Bavona, now dead a thousand moons, still remains a mystery. Some call him a mystic, but wherein he seems obscure, it is perhaps we that are in fault. Not by premeditation spoke he those archangel thoughts which made many declare that Bavona, after all, was but a crack-pated god, not a mortal of sound mind. But had he been less, my lord, he had seemed more, 
saith Fulvie, of the highest order of genius, it may be truly asserted that to gain the reputation of superior power, it must partially disguise itself. It must come down, and then it will be applauded for soaring. And furthermore, that there are those who falter in the common tongue, because they think in another. And these are accounted stutterers and stammerers. Ah, how true, cried the warbler. And what says the archangel Vavona, Yumi, in that wonderful drama of his, The Souls of the Sages? Beyond most barren hills, there are landscapes ravishing, with but one eye to behold, which no pencil can portray. What wonder, then, my lord, that Marty itself is so blind? Marty is a monster, says old Bardiana, whose eyes are fixed at its head, like a whale's. It can see but two ways, and those comprising but a small arc of a perfect vision. Poets, heroes, and men of might are all around this monster, Marty. But stand before me on stilts, or I will behold you not, says the monster. Brush back your hair, inhale the wind largely. Lucky are all men with dome-like foreheads. Luckless those with pippin-heads. Loud lungs are a blessing. A lion is no lion that cannot roar. Says Aldina, there are those looking on who know themselves to be swifter of foot than the racers, but are confounded with the simpletons that stare. The mere carping of a disappointed cripple, cried Mohi. His biographer states that Aldina had only one leg. Braidbeard, you are witty, said Babalanja, adjusting his robe. My lord, there are heroes without armies who hear martial music in their souls. Why not blow their trumpets louder, then, cried Medea, that all Marty may hear? My lord Medea, too, is witty, Babalanja, said Mohi. Breathed Yumi, there are birds of divinest plumage and most glorious song, yet singing their lyrics to themselves said Medea, the lark soars high, cares for no auditor, yet its sweet notes are heard here below. It sings, too, in company with myriads of mates. Your soliloquists, Yumi, are mostly herons and owls, said Babalanja. Very clever, my lord. But think you not there are men eloquent who never babble in the marketplace? Aye, and errant babblers at home. In few words, Babalanja, you espouse a bad cause. Most of you mortals are peacocks, some having tails and some not. Those who have them will be sure to thrust their plumes in your face. For the rest, they will display their bald cruppers and still screech for admiration. But when a great genius is born into Marty, he nods and is known. More wit, but with deference, perhaps less truth, my lord. Say what you will, fame is an accident. Merit a thing absolute. But what matter? Of what available value reputation, unless wedded to power, dentals, or place? To those who render him applause, a poet's may seem a thing tangible, but to the recipient tis a fantasy. The poet never so stretches his imagination as when striving to comprehend what it is. Often he is famous without knowing it. At the sacred games of Lazella, said Yumi, slyly crowned from behind with a laurel fillet, for many hours the minstrel Jarmy wandered about ignorant of the honors he bore. But enlightened at last, he doffed the wreath, 
then holding it at arm's length sighed forth o ye laurels to be visible to me ye must be removed from my brow and what said botargo cried babbalanja hearing that his poems had been translated into the language of the remote island of bertranda it stirs me little already in merry fancies have i dreamed of their being trilled by the blessed Horus in paradise i can only imagine the same of the damsels of bertranda says boldo the materialist substances alone are satisfactory and so thought the mercenary poet zenzi said yumi upon receiving fourteen ripe yams for a sonnet one for every line he said to me yumi i shall make a better meal upon these than upon so many compliments ay cried babbalanja bravos saith old bardiana but induce flatulency said medea and do you famous mortals then take no pleasure in hearing your bravos much my good lord at least such famous mortals so enamoured of a clamorous notoriety as to bravo for themselves when none else will huzzah whose whole existence is an unintermitting consciousness of self whose very persons stand erect and self-sufficient as their infallible index the capital letter i who relish and comprehend no reputation but what attaches to the carcass who would his life be renowned for a splendid moustache as for a splendid drama who know not how it was that a personage to posterity so universally celebrated as the poet vavona ever passed through the crowd unobserved who deride the very thunder for making such a noise in mardi and yet disdain to manifest itself to the eye wax not so warm babbalanja but tell us if to his contemporaries vavona's person was almost unknown what satisfaction did he derive from his genius had he not its consciousness an empire boundless as the west what to him were huzzas why my lord from his privacy the great and good logodora sent liniment to the hoarse throats without but what said bardiana when they dunned him for autographs who keeps the register of great men who decides upon noble actions and how long may ink last alas fame has dropped more rolls than she displays and there are more lost chronicles than the perished books of the historian lavella but what is lost forever my lord is nothing to what is now unseen there are more treasures in the bowels of the earth than on its surface ah no gold cried yumi but that comes from dark minds said babbalanja bear witness ye gods cries fervent old bardiana that besides disclosures of good and evil undreamed of now there will be other and more astounding revelations hereafter of what has passed in mardi unbeheld a truce to your everlasting pratings of old bardiana said king medea why not speak your own thoughts babbalanja then would your discourse possess more completeness whereas its warp and woof are of all sorts bardiana alamolala vavona and all the writers that ever have written speak for yourself mortal may you not possibly mistake my lord for i do not so much quote bardiana as bardiana quoted me though he flourished before me and no vanity but honesty to say so 
the catalogue of true thoughts is but small they are ubiquitous no man's property and unspoken or brooded are the same when we hear them why seem they so natural receiving our spontaneous approval why do we think we have heard them before because they but reiterate ourselves they were in us before we were born the truest poets are but mouthpieces and some men are duplicates of each other i see myself in bardiana and there for oro's sake let it rest babalanja bardiana in you and you in bardiana forever chapter twenty three what manner of men the taparians were the canoes sailed on but we leave them a while for our visit to Gigi, the last visit we made, suggests some further revelations concerning the dental money of Mardi. Ere this, it should have been mentioned that, throughout the archipelago, there was a restriction concerning incisors and molars as ornaments for the person. None but great chiefs, brave warriors, and men distinguished by rare intellectual endowments, orators, romancers, philosophers, and poets, being permitted to sport them as jewels though as it happened among the poets there were many who had never a tooth save those employed at their repasts which coming but seldom their teeth almost corroded in their mouths hence in commerce poets teeth were at a discount for these reasons then many mortals blent with the promiscuous mob of mardians who by any means accumulated teeth were fain to assert their dental claims to distinction by clumsily carrying their treasures in pelican pouches slung over their shoulders, which pouches were a huge burden to carry about and defend. Though, in good truth, from any of these porters it was harder to wrench his pouches than his limbs. It was also a curious circumstance that, at the slightest casual touch, these bags seemed to convey a simultaneous thrill to the owners. Besides these porters, there were others who exchanged their teeth for richly stained calabashes, elaborately carved canoes, and more especially for costly robes and turbans, in which last many outshone the noblest-born nobles. Nevertheless, this answered not the end they had in view, some of the crowd only admiring what they wore, and not them, breaking out into laudation of the inimitable handiwork of the artisans of Marty. And, strange to relate, these artisans themselves often came to be men of teeth and turbans, sporting their bravery with the best. A circumstance which accounted for the fact that many of the class above alluded to were considered capital judges of tapa and tailoring. Hence, as a general designation, the whole tribe went by the name of Taparians, otherwise men of tapa. Now, many moons ago, according to Braidbeard, the Taparians of a certain cluster of islands seeing themselves hopelessly confounded with the plebeian race of mortals, such as artificers, honest men, breadfruit bakers, and the like, seeing, in short, that nature had denied them every inborn mark of distinction, and, furthermore, that their external assumptions were derided by so many in Marty, these self-same Taparians, poor devils, resolved to secede from the rabble, form themselves into a community of their own, and conventionally pay that homage to each other which universal Marty could not be prevailed upon to render to them. Jointly, they purchased an island called Pimini, 
toward the extreme west of the lagoon, and thither they went. And framing a code of laws, amazingly arbitrary, considering they themselves were the framers, solemnly took the oath of allegiance to the commonwealth thus established. Regarded section by section, this code of laws seemed exceedingly trivial, but taken together made a somewhat imposing aggregation of particles. By this code, the minutest things in life were all ordered after a specific fashion. More especially, one's dress was legislated upon, to the last warp and woof. All girdles must be so many inches in length, and with such a number of tassels in front. For a violation of this ordinance, before the face of all Mardi, the most dutiful of sons would cut the most affectionate of fathers. Now, though like all Mardi, kings and slaves included, the people of Pimini had dead dust for grandsires. They seldom reverted to that fact, for, like all founders of families, they had no family vaults, nor were they much encumbered by living connections, connections some of them appeared to have none. Like poor Logan, the last of his tribe, they seemed to have monopolized the blood of their race, having never a cousin to own. Wherefore it was that many ignorant Mardians, who had not pushed their investigations into the science of physiology, sagely divined that the Taparians must have potted into life like peas, instead of being otherwise indebted for their existence. Certain it is they had a comical way of backing up their social pretensions. When the respectability of his clan was mooted, Pivi, one of their bucks, disdained all reference to the Doomsday Book and the Ancients. More reliable evidence was had. He referred the anxious world to a witness still alive and hearty, his contemporary tailor, the varlet who cut out his tapa doublets and rejoiced his soul with good fits. Ah, sighed Babalanja, how it quenches in one the thought of immortality to think that these Taparians, too, will hereafter claim each a niche. But we rove. Our visit to Pimini itself will best make known the ways of its denizens. Chapter 24 Their Adventures Upon Landing at Pimini A long sail over, the island of Pimini came in sight, one dead fiat wreathed in a thin, insipid vapor. My lord, why, land? said Babalanja. No, Yila is here. Tis my humor, Babalanja said Yumi. Taji would leave no isle unexplored. As we neared the beach, the atmosphere became still closer and more languid. Much did we miss the refreshing balm which breathed in the fine breezy air of the open lagoon. Of a slender and sickly growth seemed the trees. In the meadows the grass grew small and mincing. Said Medea, Taji, from the accounts which Braidbeard gives, there must be much to amuse in the ways of these Taparians. Yes, said Babalanja, their lives are a continual farce, gratuitously performed for the diversion of Mardi. My lord, perhaps we had best doff our dignity and land among them as persons of lowly condition. For then we shall receive more diversion, though less hospitality. A good proposition, said Medea. And so saying, he put off his robe for one less pretentious. All followed suit, Yumi doffing turban and sash, 
and at last, completely metamorphosed, we looked like Hungarian gypsies. Voyaging on, we entered a bay where numbers of menials were standing in the water, engaged in washing the carved work of certain fantastic canoes belonging to the Taparians, their masters. Landing at some distance, we followed a path that soon conducted us to a betwisted dwelling of bamboos, where gently we knocked for admittance. So doing, we were accosted by a servitor, his portliness all in his calves. Marking our appearance, he monopolized the threshold, and gruffly demanded what was wanted. Strangers, kind sir, fatigued with travel, and in need of refreshment and repose. Then hence with ye vagabonds, and with an emphasis he closed the portal in our face. Said Babalanja, turning, You perceive, my lord Medea, that these varlets take after their masters, who feed none but the well-fed, and house none but the well-housed. Faith, but they furnished most rare entertainment, nevertheless, cried Medea. <laughs> Taji, we had missed much had we missed Pamini. As this was said, we observed at a distance three menials running from seaward, as if conveying important intelligence. Halting here and there, vainly seeking admittance at other habitations, and receiving nothing but taunts for our pains, we still wandered on, and at last came upon a village toward which those from the seaside had been running. And now, to our surprise, we were accosted by an eager and servile throng. Obsequious varlets, said Medea, where tarry your masters? Right royal and thrice worshipful lord of Odo, do you take us for our domestics? We are Taparians, may it please your illustrious highness, your most humble and obedient servants. We beseech you, supereminent sir, condescend to visit our habitations and partake of our cheer. Then, turning upon their attendants, Away with ye, hounds, and set our dwellings in order. How know ye me to be king? asked Medea. Is it not in your serene highness's regal port, and I? "'Twas their menials,' muttered Mohi, "'who from the paddlers in charge of our canoes "'must have learned who my lord was "'and published the tidings.' "'After some further speech, "'Medea made a social surrender of himself "'to the foremost of the Taparians, "'one Nimni, "'who, conducting us to his abode "'with much deference, "'introduced us to a portly old Begum "'and three slender damsels, "'his wife and daughters. "'Soon refreshments appeared, green and yellow compounds, and diverse enigmatical dainties. Besides, vegetable liqueurs of a strange and alarming flavor, served in fragile little leaves, folded into cups, and very troublesome to handle. Excessively thirsty, Babalanja made bold to inquire for water, which called forth a burst of horror from the old Begum, and minor shrieks from her daughters, who declared that the beverage to which remote reference had been made was far too widely diffused in Marty to be at all esteemed in Pimini. "'But though we seldom imbibe it,' said the old Begum, ceremoniously adjusting her necklace of cowrie shells, "'we occasionally employ it for medicinal purposes.' "'Ah, indeed,' said Babalanja. "'But, oh, believe me, even then we imbibe not the ordinary fluid of the springs and streams, 
but that which in afternoon showers softly drains from our palm-trees into the little hollow or miniature reservoir beneath its compacted roots a goblet of this beverage was now handed babalanja but having a curious gummy flavor it proved anything but palatable presently in came a company of young men relatives of nimni they were slender as skysail poles standing in a row resembled a picket fence and were surmounted by enormous heads of hair combed out all round variously dyed and evened by being singed with a lighted wisp of straw like milliners parcels they were very neatly done up wearing redolent robes how like the woodlands they smell whispered yumi ay marvellously like sap said mohi one part of their garniture consisted of numerous tasseled cords like those of an eigelet depending from the neck and attached here and there about the person a separate one at a distance united their ankles these served to measure and graduate their movements keeping their gestures paces and attitudes within the prescribed standard of taparian gentility when they went abroad they were preceded by certain footmen who placed before them small carved boards whereon their masters stepped thus avoiding contact with the earth the simple device of a shoe as a fixture for the foot was unknown in pamini being told that taji was lately from the sun they manifested not the slightest surprise one of them incidentally observing however that the eclipses there must be a sad bore to endure chapter twenty five a i and o the old begum went by the euphonious appellation of ohiro moldona fivona a name from its length deemed highly genteel though scandal averred that it was nothing more than her real name transposed the appellation by which she had been formerly known signifying a getter-up of fine tapa but as this would have let out an ancient secret it was thought wise to disguise it her daughters respectively reveled in the pretty diminutives of a i and o which from their brevity comical to tell were considered equally genteel with the dames the habiliments of the three vowels must not be omitted each damsel garrisoned an ample circular farthingale of canes serving as the framework whereon to display a gaily dyed robe perhaps their charms entrenched themselves in these impregnable petticoats as feeble armies fly to fortresses to hide their weakness and better resist an onset but polite and politic it is to propitiate your hostess so seating himself by the begum taji led off with earnest inquiries after her welfare but the begum was one of those who relieve the diffident from the embarrassment of talking all by themselves carrying on conversation for two hence no wonder that my lady was esteemed invaluable at all assemblies in the groves of pimini contributing so largely to that incessant din which is held the best test of the enjoyment of the company as making them deaf to the general nonsense otherwise audible learning that taji had been making the tour of certain islands in mardi the begum was surprised that he could have thus hazarded his life among the barbarians of the east she desired to know whether his constitution was not impaired by inhaling the unrefined atmosphere of those remote and barbarous regions for her part the mere thought of it made her faint in her innermost citadel 
nor went she ever abroad with the wind at east, dreading the contagion which might lurk in the air. Upon accosting the three damsels, Taji very soon discovered that the tongue which had languished in the presence of the Begum was now called into active requisition to entertain the polysyllables her daughters. So assiduously were they occupied in silent endeavors to look sentimental and pretty, that it proved no easy task to sustain with them an ordinary chat. In this dilemma, Taji diffused not his remarks among all three, but discreetly centered them upon O. Thinking she might be curious concerning the sun, he made some remote allusion to that luminary as the place of his nativity. Upon which, O inquired where that country was, of which mention was made. Some distance from here, in the air above, the sun that gives light to Pamini and Marty at large. She replied that if that were the case, she had never beheld it, for such was the construction of her farthingale that her head could not be thrown back without impairing its set. Wherefore, she had always abstained from astronomical investigations. Hereupon, rude Mohi laughed out, and that lucky laugh happily relieved Taji from all further necessity of entertaining the vowels. For at so vulgar and in Pamini so unwonted a sound as a genuine laugh, the three startled nymphs fainted away in a row, their round farthingales falling over upon each other, like a file of empty tierces. But they presently revived. Meanwhile, without stirring from their mats, the polite young bucks and the aigulets did nothing but hold semi-transparent leaves to their eyes, by the stems, which leaves they directed downward toward the disordered hymns of the farthingales, in wait, perhaps, for the revelation of an ankle and its accompaniments. What the precise use of these leaves could have been, it would be hard to say, especially as the observers invariably peeped over and under them. The calamity of the vowels was soon followed by the breaking up of the party, when evening coming on, and feeling much wearied by the labor of seeing company and Pamini, we retired to our mats, there finding that repose which ever awaits the fatigued. End of section five. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.